Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 5. So verse 22 now is addressing the wives, and it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, to understand some of what Paul is describing here, we need to go back into the book of Genesis, all the way back to the beginning. In fact, later in the, in the chapter, Paul is going to refer back to some things in the book of Genesis, that when God first created man and woman, there are some, some roles, some responsibilities that are laid down. Now, if you remember, it was first the man that was created, right? In, in uh, Genesis, well, you can, you can go all the way back to... Uh, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now here you have God. Notice, notice it's God speaking. He says, Let us make man in our image. Um, this is really God speaking. You might wonder, who, you know, who's he speaking to? He's really speaking to himself. Uh, in fact, this would be a, a good verse, a, a good Old Testament verse, that points to a trinity of the Godhead. That God is one God, but you see, God is also an us, right? He says, let us Make man in our image. Some people try and make it out that God is speaking to the angels there. And yet the angels, it's never, it's never said that angels are created in the image of God. And it's certainly not said that man is created in the image of angels. Man is created in the image of God. So when God says, let us make man in our image. Also, by the way, the angels didn't have a part in making man. God says, let us, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image. And God created you, just like there's that plurality within the Godhead, God created you with a spirit, a soul, and a body. You are a, are a reflection, now in a fallen state, but, but yet a reflection of the image of God. And, and so God says, let us make man in our image. And he says, let them have dominion. Let man have dominion. He gives some authority to man. Over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God puts earth, the, the, this planet that he had created, under the dominion of man. By the way, you know that God created his creation to function best under man's care and, and leadership. That's not to say that you, you don't have, you know, there's... If you didn't have man here, you, you would still have nature and you would still have uh, things that would function. But realize that man is able to take that creation that God created and make it more fruitful, 
make it more bountiful, because that's, that's the way that God created it. Nature by itself is very chaotic. And so God puts that creation under man's dominion for, for man to order it and to take that, that control and dominion over the creation. This is even before the fall, even, even before the creation has fallen. He gives man this position of being in dominion. And it says in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, there in verse 27, it says that God created man male and female. Now, when you come over to Genesis chapter 2, so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There in in verse 7, that's that spirit, soul, and body. What he forms of the dust of the ground is the body of man. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and that word breath is really the same word for spirit, the, the Hebrew word for spirit, the uh, Greek word for spirit, all have that idea of wind or breath. And so there, that breath of life is, is God putting a spirit within man, and it says that man became a living soul. There's that spirit, soul, and body. And in verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed. And it describes how, how the Lord... Uh, creates this garden. It it mentions the trees in the garden and the tree of life and also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, If you come down to verse, well, let's look at verse 16 while we're here. It says that, that the Lord God, verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, here in Genesis 2, we haven't yet seen the creation of of woman. We've seen the creation of man, and God's put man in that garden. He's given him some instruction. But in verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, if you go back into chapter 1 and you see the creation of the, the, uh, you know, the animal creation, God created them all male and female. But here he creates just man, puts him in the garden, but he says it's not good that man would be alone. And he says that he's going to create a help meet for him. And that word meet means fitting. He's going to create a, a, another individual that is going to be a fitting helper for man in this position that he's been given of taking dominion over the creation. Now, verse 19, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meet for him. And, and the Lord goes through this, not so much for his own benefit. The Lord knew that none of these creatures was going to be fitting for Adam, but it's really for Adam's benefit to, to show him that the rest of the creation is not what's going to be fitting to help him in this, in this uh, mission that he has from God. And so of all of these creatures that God creates, it says there was not found in help meet for him. 
And so in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Here, God causes this deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he takes actually a part of Adam's body, a part of that body that God had created from the dust of the ground, and he takes that rib and he creates the woman. Uh, this, you know, and there's, there's a lot of important reasons why God does that. Uh, you notice that God doesn't create the woman in the same way he created the man. He doesn't just take dust of the ground again, but rather he takes something out of the man in order to create the woman. And the idea here is, because in these last few verses, we're going to have this first marriage in the Bible where Adam and Eve are married before God, that these two parts would complement one another to form one whole. As we saw back in chapter 1 when it said that God created man in his own image, and it said male and female created he them. And so uh, he, God creates this woman after, after Adam seeing that none of the animal creation was going to be fit for him as this helper. God creates a woman and he brings her to the man. And in verse 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. And this really, Adam's statement there, really is the first wedding vows. He is accepting Eve as his wife, and he says, this is now bone of my bones. Now, that was literally true, right? I mean, she was formed literally from one of his bones, from one of his ribs. Um, But he claims her now as his own flesh, so that the two of them, as, as two individuals, yet they would be so joined together, so intimately joined together, that it would be as if they were one flesh and one bone. And he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You see that, that uh, she is called woman. He says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And verse 24 then lays out an order that takes place from generation to generation. Um, you know, Adam's already been observing the animals in creation. He understands that God created uh, the, the animal creation with the ability to procreate, to uh, to replenish the earth and multiply and and to again to uh, uh, procreate after their kind right and he understands that Adam and Eve are not going to be the only two people ever that exist that they're going to have children and there are going to be generations that are going to come from them and that the order will be that a a man a, a son when he becomes a man will leave his father and mother and he will take a wife and cleave unto his wife and they'll be one flesh and they in turn then will give rise to the next generation and the next generation okay and so you see that you see the the woman created there as a help meet a, a fitting helper for the man in being able to to fulfill the instruction that God has given to him and so there is an order in marriage okay if we go back to our text in Ephesians chapter 5 There is an order in marriage with regard to authority. Now, remember, the man's created in 
God's image. And, you know, even within the Godhead, there is an order with regard to, to authority. Uh, understand that differing levels of authority, are that, that doesn't indicate anything about somebody's superiority or inferiority or, or anything like that. You realize that uh, Jesus Christ, for instance, is subject to God the Father. Okay, now does that mean that Jesus Christ is inferior to God the Father? We looked at the verses last week that said he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Right, Jesus Christ in... in his position as God is equal. He's equally God with God the Father. He's equally God with the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus Christ is subject to the Father. The Father has, has greater authority than what Jesus Christ has. Um, if, if you want to just see a passage that demonstrates that, go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Um, verse 24 Speaking of the end, uh, meaning when the, the kingdom is established, it says in, in verse 24, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up, when Christ shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. This is talking about at the end of that thousand-year kingdom. Um, it's really talking about the, the dispensation of the fullness of times when everything is brought to its culmination. And it says that, that Jesus Christ is going to deliver up the kingdom to God the Father when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he, Christ, must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith, all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. Now, the grammar there in verse 27 is a little bit hard. You, you might have to read it a couple times to really understand what the verse is saying. But it's talking about a, a time when everything is put under Christ's feet, but it says there's one exception to that, and that's the one who put everything under Christ's feet, which is God the Father. Right? So everything is put under Christ's feet, everything's put under his authority, except for God the Father. And so verse 28 says, When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. You see, in eternity future... Jesus Christ, the Son, is going to be subject to God the Father. Not because of inequality, not because he's not equally God, right? He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But because that's his role as the Son, is to be subject to the Father. And so understand when we talk about these issues of, of subjection and submission, it's not a matter of superiority or inferiority. When, when Paul's going to talk about the servant and the master, he's not saying that the servant is inferior to the master and therefore he must be subject to him. Uh, he's not saying that the, the master is superior to the servant. Um, but he's talking about the, the legitimate authority that God has laid out. Remember that Romans 13 says that there is no power, no authority, but of God. If somebody has authority, ultimately you can trace that authority back to God. And... and so when people are acting in that legitimate authority, if we go back to our text in Ephesians 5, when people are acting in that legitimate authority, to disobey authority or to be disrespectful toward authority is really to, to disobey God. And so in our text in Ephesians 5, understanding that authority that, 
God has laid out in the marriage relationship between husbands and wives, verse 22 again says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, it doesn't say women submit yourselves to men in general. It says specifically to wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And it says to do it as unto the Lord. Now, when you think about how we are to submit ourselves to the Lord, we're to submit ourselves to the Lord in everything, right? I mean, there's no area of our life that the Lord does not have authority over. And when it says, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, that word as, that, that means it's a, it's a simile. That's called a, a simile. It's comparing these things, and it's saying the one is to be as the other. So that whatever's true of the subjection that is due to the Lord, it says here, that's what's due of a wife toward her husband. Okay, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And it says in verse 23, for the husband is the head of of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. You see, the standard that this passage is going to lay out for marriage and for husbands and wives, the standard is not your grandparents' marriage or your parents' marriage. Your standard is not your friends' marriages. Really, what, it, what this passage is going to present as the standard for marriage is the relationship between Christ and the church. That's the standard for marriage. And that is a perfect standard. Now, as we, as we read these things, these are hard things to do. In fact, you could say they're impossible to do. They're impossible because we have this flesh, okay? And that, that, that relationship between Christ and the church is never, it's impossible for it to be perfectly reflected in our marriages, but that's the standard, understand? That's the standard, Okay? And so he says to the wives that the husband is the head of the wife in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. Now, we, you know, we read over and over again about the fact that when we believe the gospel, we become members of the body of Christ, right? We're so joined to Christ that we are considered to be members of his very body. But in that, in that arrangement, Christ is always the head. In the same way that the members of your body take the instruction from the head. My head tells my hand to move or tells my mouth to move. And that's, that's what happens. Okay? And that's where the instruction comes from is from the head. And that's the way the body is to operate as the body of Christ. Uh, we, don't, we don't just you know, go out and operate autonomously from Christ and who he is. We take instruction from God's word, the, the word of Christ. And that is our, our operating instructions for us as the body of Christ. And so as the body of Christ, we are subject to Christ. Now, again, we don't, we don't fulfill that perfectly. We don't, and just like in your, in your physical body, uh, there are things that can interrupt that communication between your head and your body. Uh, there are times where your head calls on your body to do something that it's not possible for it to do. That's where the proper authority is, is for us to, to follow those instructions from the head, regardless of what our own will is, regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of whether it's hard or easy, uh, regardless of what other authorities might be telling us to do to the contrary. Our responsibility is to follow those instructions from the head. 
right? And that same responsibility that the church has toward Christ, that's what the verse says that, that a wife has toward her husband, that the husband is the head of the wife. In the marriage relationship, likewise, they become one flesh, just like the believer becomes one flesh with Christ. But the verse says that, that the husband is the head. Right, go, back to, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 11 says, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Um, now, when it talks about the woman being created for the man, understand, it's not saying that the woman is created for the man, for, you know, for the man to... to Treat her however he wants. We'll, we'll get down to the husbands and what God requires of husbands uh, in, in Ephesians 5. But what it, when it says that, that the woman is created for the man, remember what that original purpose was. It was for the woman to be a help to the man in performing the will of God, right? In exercising that dominion and, and authority that God had given man over the creation. It, it wasn't just for man to to treat her however he wanted or to abuse her or whatever, but it was for her to be that fitting helper for him in performing the will of God. And that's, you know, that's the, the context in a verse like this. But you see, again, that order there, that it says the man is not of the woman, the woman came from the man, and that the woman is created for the man. All right? Now, what happens, again, what happens here with some of these passages is, you know, a man will read a passage like this one we're in here in Ephesians 5, and he'll read the part that's to his wife and and start to say, see, you don't measure up. You need to do better. You need to do what those verses say. And he'll ignore the instructions that that the verse gives to him. Okay? And and it's no accident that often in many churches when they talk about these issues of headship and authority... Because the preacher is a man, he'll spend all the time talking about what's required of the woman and very little time talking about what's required of the man. All right, but you see in the scripture, it's not that way. You see, there's a, there's a balance there. And again, we'll be, we'll be talking about the men more in a, in a, uh, a later message. But you begin to see, even in these instructions to the wives, what, what is to be reflected in the marriage relationship. It says, again, verse 23, we read it already, but look at it again. It says that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. There's that simile again. So that, understand that when you want to understand marriage and biblical marriage, you can't understand biblical marriage without understanding that relationship between Christ and the church. You can't understand the kind of love that that. God talks about in marriage between a man and a woman without understanding the kind of love that Christ has for the church. Okay? And, and this goes so far beyond, you know, just, to just talk about the authority that exists in marriage is really to look at it in a very legalistic way. But, but the focus here is that, that love. Why does the church submit ourselves to Christ? As we talked about submitting ourselves even, even one to another. Uh, last time in, in the last message. Why, why do we submit ourselves to Christ? Do we do it just because he has the authority? Um, you know, certainly, even if it was just a matter of authority, that would be our duty and our responsibility. But the scripture says that it's the love of Christ that constraineth us, 
right? We don't, we don't serve Christ today under the law as if how we perform is going to determine uh, how he blesses us or curses us. That was the, the arrangement with Israel in the Old Testament, right? God said, if you do this, then I'll, then I'll do that. And if you don't, then you're going to get the, the curses, Today, Scripture tells us, we saw in Ephesians 1, that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Our, our blessing from God is not determined by how well we measure up to the standard. Rather, it, you see that agape love that God has for the saints and that he, he gives us all the blessings, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ up front when we, when we believe the gospel. And that's the way that Scripture can say that it's the love of Christ that constrains us. Not our love for him, but his love for us is of such a nature that, that how can we do anything but? When we consider the love that Christ had for us to submit himself to sinful man, to be subjected to suffering and death. When we consider that, how can we do anything but serve him? Okay? And, and so... You know, certainly authority is an issue here, but when it comes to this submission, as we looked at last time, the submission is not just being forced into submission. The submission is a submission of love. It's a willing submission in response to to that love. And so the things that are true of Christ being the head of the church, that's what's true of the husband being the the head of the wife. And it says, as... uh, that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And it says that Christ is the Savior of the body. So verse 24 says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives, if you want to know what God expects of you, as far as your subjection toward your husband, what you have to do is go into God's word and find out what does God expect of the church in being subject to Christ. And whatever's true of the church's responsibility to be subject to Christ, that's what's true of a wife's responsibility to be subject to her husband. And um, again, these aren't, you know, what, what happens here is we get this, this, this fleshly reaction often, and it's not just the wives. When we talk about the husbands, the husband's you know, you guys will have the same, the same fleshly reaction. This, this part of the, the passage, you know, the husbands like and the wives don't like. When we get to the next section, then it, the, the roles are reversed. But uh, uh, the, the fleshly reaction is to say, you know, he doesn't deserve for me to submit myself to him. Um, you know, look at all, all these faults that he has and, and that kind of thing. And to have that fleshly reaction, but you see... This is talking about being filled with the Spirit, not just operating based on the flesh, but, but how we operate when we're filled with the Spirit. And understand that not only is that relationship between Christ and the church the pattern for marriage, right? So you can look to that relationship as being the pattern for your marriage, but also as other people look at your marriage, it says something about the relationship between Christ and the church. The two reflect upon one another. How you operate in your marriage shows other people what you believe about Christ and the church. Okay? It's true of the, the wives and it's true of the husbands. Uh, I've, I've heard um, a wife say in, in 
counseling one time that uh, she said, I don't mind submitting myself to Christ, but I'm not going to submit myself to my husband. And the thing is, you can't, that's that's a contradiction. Because here it's, Christ that is instructing the wives to submit themselves to their husbands. If a wife isn't submitting herself to her husband, she certainly isn't submitting herself to Christ. Okay? And, and again, those two reflect on one another. Our lifestyles, now this is a scary thing to think of when you really think about it deeply. The way we live and the attitudes that we have and the responses that we give to circumstances that come up around us always reflect on Christ. How you, how you deal with things in life reflects on Christ. Okay? It can reflect positively. It can reflect negatively. It can glorify him or it can uh, denigrate him and, and you know, make people think less of him. And that's really, you know, when, when, you, when you keep the focus on that, all these fleshly things that come up about what I deserve or, or what, you know, what so-and-so, that stuff just kind of goes away. Because it's not about what I deserve or what I want or or what's best for me or anything like that. It's what's going to glorify Christ. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. And our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.